of Christian Missions at uh, Southern Seminary and has been for a few years. He is also the director of the Bevan Center uh, for Missions Mobilization there at Southern. Uh, he grew up with missionary parents in uh, Asia who served in uh, Bangladesh. And uh, he himself and Gail with him, his wife, served 20 years in uh, Southeast Asia. And so, and he has served various roles with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, but he and Gail uh, have been married long enough to have four children. So uh, there you go. I don't know how old they are. The website didn't say, but I, I, but there are two boys and two girls. Is that right? Okay. And so we are thankful to have you here, Dr. McKinley. I'm going to pray for him and then he will come to preach for us. Our Father, we come before you now to ask that as we have sung praise to you, that you might speak truth to us through your word. This is your word, and we pray you will bless your servant as he comes to preach to your people. We pray that your church will be strengthened. We pray that your lost sheep will come home. We pray that your mission will be advanced and your name will be lifted up. And that your Son, our Savior, will shine brightly through this time of looking into your word. Encourage us, teach us, train us for righteousness' sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to 1 Peter. So that's way back in the back of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to, uh, to, to say a little something that really it's not in my notes or not in my intention, uh, not in my plan when I first came here, but I, I just want to thank you uh, for the prayers that I have heard in this church. Um, I am an advocate for pastoral prayer, for hearing the elders, the leaders, uh, the teachers of our church pray in front of the congregation. And I, I mean, just point out a couple of things that I heard that I want to thank you for as a church. First of all, your elder praying, the specificity of that prayer was beautiful. Um, they, there are times we pray in a general way, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the specificity to, sp to pray for specific names in specific conditions and ask for specific things for them. That's, that's a beautiful example, and so thank you for that. And then the other beautiful example was just hearing your pastor and uh, frankly hearing his heart uh, as he prayed just now. 
I was hearing the tenderness of his heart, but also uh, the, the biblical nature of his prayer. Uh, praying, in a sense, God's word back to the Lord. And that's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for allowing me to kind of deviate just a tad uh, for a moment to point those things out. So I want to thank you. So the task today, uh, here with at the conclusion of your missions conference, the task today might be to point you out to the world out there and say, go get it. Interestingly enough, when I was thinking about what the Lord would have me say today, um, I thought more about us. And I'm going to have to put myself in your shoes, if you don't mind, and say we an awful lot, because I, I don't want to come here and, and talk about you and not talk about me and, and make it us all at the same time, because we're in, we're in this together as the body of Christ. So I, I thought today, really, that the, the task would be to speak of us and who we are. During the introduction you heard, my parents uh, were missionaries in Bangladesh. And by the way, just shout out to y'all. That's my flag right over there. <laughs> I'm just a joy Bangla. <laughs> um, that's the Bangladeshi flag. Incidentally, the, the revolutionary flag had a golden map of Bengal on the middle of the red dot. And it was later changed to the two-tone one without the golden uh, map of Bengal on it. But one of the first flags of the new country was raised in 1971 after a war uh, by my family. Uh, we were actually there during that war and we raised one of the first flags in free Bangladesh. Uh, so that, that I actually stood here and took a selfie with it because that's what we do nowadays, right? It didn't happen if, it's, if you don't have a selfie, if it's not on Instagram, check me out later. But uh, uh, my wife, uh, so my parents uh, were there for 30-some-odd years, and I was born and raised there. My wife, Gail, she's here with me today. Her parents were Southern Baptist missionaries in Brazil, and she was born and raised there. And so um, some people would say it was no surprise that the Lord called us into missions uh, many, many years later when we were married. But frankly, from, from the start of our marriage, we did not intend to go overseas as missionaries. That was not our intention at all. But it was out of the Lord's work in our lives, uh, indeed in our marriage and, and in our, we were both in the medical field at that time. Uh, but it was in the life of church and, and, and what the Lord was teaching us by his word and through his servants preaching and teaching the word that, that we were led, in a sense, back to the mission field. And so we served for 20 uh, years with the International Mission Board. Uh, that's a Southern Baptist thing. Don't worry, they'll be okay. Y'all are doing good too. <laughs> Right? We're all in this together. Uh, but we served with the International Mission Board for 20 years in Southeast Asia, specifically uh, the land of Indonesia. But back to Dad. One, one thing Dad said, and Dad's gone to be with the Lord now, but uh, one thing he said uh, not too long before he died, he said, Keith, there's nothing more significant in life than telling others the story of Jesus, how he came and died in our place for our sin. We can think of our witness as a burdensome duty. You know, I got to do that because that's what Christians do. But that's not right. 
Our witness is an overflow of who we are because of what God has done in us and for us in Christ. And the Bible teaches us that the Lord has purposed from time before time was actually time. So that God has purposed from time and before time to make a people for himself so that we might worship him and be a witness for him. And the Apostle Peter teaches us in the passage we're going to look at in just a moment. He teaches us that our witness springs from worship of the Lord because he is worthy of praise and worthy of proclamation. And so let me read these words to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of he who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have come to hear from you, and yet I stand as simply a man in front. And so we ask that you do what you love to do, that you speak by your word through your servant. And Father, two ears that are made ready to hear your good word, your gospel, your saints, that by your spirit, Father, they hear what you would have to say to us, your church, for your purpose and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in the very beginning of this epistle, this letter written from the Apostle Peter, in fact, if we go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 1, we see that the letter is written to aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Aside from being really cool names to say out loud, um, he's writing to the church that is scattered, um, and he describes them as living as aliens. Now, we, they, they, they could be, it's very likely that he uses that word alien or foreigner on account of their not being in their own land. Uh, there's considerable speculation, and I, I think it's, it's probably accurate, that the churches to whom he wrote, that uh, some of the, the members of those churches, perhaps the founding members of those churches, were Jews, that because of the persecution that arose after the martyrdom of Stephen, that's told us early in Acts, that after that martyrdom of Stephen, there arose a great persecution there in Jerusalem, and many of the believers, indeed most of the believers, left Jerusalem and were scattered throughout uh, the area throughout the Mediterranean. So it's very likely that the people in these cities that he describes in verse 1 of chapter 1 would be some of those dispersed people. Formerly uh, living in Jerusalem, formerly Jerusalemites, living in Israel, but now uh, scattered. And so they live as aliens in, in a land of not their own. Nevertheless, according to verse 2, this, this is still of chapter 1, and according to verse 2 there, the scattering and their alienness is all by the knowledge of the Father, the foreknowledge of the Father. Furthermore, their displacement, it says there, is part of the Spirit's work of sanctification, working in their obedience to Jesus. So rather than bemoan their foreign status, rather than complain about their alien nature and they're not fitting in and they're not fully being accepted in the society around them, rather than that, Peter urges them to understand who they are and therefore what they are called to, what their lives should be like, how to live 
as aliens. And I suggest that today, in a real sense, we too are alien in this world, and this world is not our home. Now, if we are alien, how do we understand ourselves and how do we conduct ourselves while aliens in a foreign land? Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the verse of the day. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of he who called you out of darkness into your marvelous light. He must have taken a really big breath before he wrote that sentence. It's a long and beautiful sentence and I want to take it piece by piece so we can understand what is he saying to the dispersed churches, the churches living as aliens um, scattered about probably from the persecution, but also what does he have to say for us today? First of all, you are a chosen race. We are chosen. Another word your translation might say elect, for example. We read of this choosing or this election in 1 Peter, the first two verses in uh, the very first chapter that we've already touched on. And Paul teaches in Romans 9-11 that though uh, we're not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, but, but that in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of he who calls, he has elected people for himself, chosen people for himself. So you're chosen, you are elect. But he uses another word, you're the chosen race, which indicates, by the way, common descent. And so let me say a little something about that. Our human descent is common in the first Adam. So the word race, sometimes translated as generation in, in this particular context and in your Bibles, this word race refers to those related to one another. Kinfolk would be another word. But let me point out something to you very quickly, that this passage does not refer to people who look different than you, who look different than me, perhaps because of skin color or something like that we should acknowledge that we are all of one race, the race of Adam. All people of all kinds in all places are all related, we to one another, by blood through Adam. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my pastor Simon Shortcar. He lived under that flag. Bengali man. He was a little guy. He stood about this tall. Slight man. Very, very dark skin. I mean, gee whiz, I'm so pale, I'm almost translucent. You know. But Simon was my pastor. By the way, he's gone to be with the Lord. I was in Bangladesh in, uh, in 2019, and, and uh, we drove by his old house. Uh, one, I mean, we just kind of drove by it really quickly and someone pointed out, oh, that's the house of Simon Shortcar. I said, that's my pastor's house. He baptized me. So my pastor, my beloved dear pastor who baptized me, whenever I would look at Pastor Simon, I would see my brother in Christ, yes, and even more, my spiritual father. You see, we, Simon and I, we're of one race. 
So our, our spiritual, our, our physical descent, our human descent is common in the first Adam, but even more, our spiritual descent is common in the second Adam. You see, this passage does not refer to the race of man or a race of humanity in general, but to a certain and specific descent, a specific kinship, a specific brotherhood, a specific family, those chosen by Jesus, chosen and precious in the sight of God. God's choice of us made in and through Christ. We are born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Therefore, we are now a chosen race, kinfolk to one another, kinfolk in the first Adam, and most gloriously, kinfolk by the work of the second Adam. To flesh this out a bit, who we are as God's chosen race, Peter then goes on to use the words of God written by Moses in Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, he writes, You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom and priests and a holy nation. Now, the apostle Peter borrows that language from Exodus 19, the language of priest and nation and people from Exodus 19 to deepen our understanding of who we are as a chosen race. So secondly, using that language, we're a royal priesthood. Now, priesthood can be understood in two ways. First, we can understand priesthood as priesthood of the believers. And, and this is, of course, a biblical doctrine. And as priesthood of believers, we have access to God and need of no other than our high priest who is Christ. But there's a second way for us to understand priesthood in the scriptures, and that is as, as in the priesthood of heaven, ambassadors of God, mediators of God's presence in the world. Now, I believe we should understand priesthood here in 1 Peter 2, 9 in this second sense because, as we'll see in a few minutes, we have a representative function in the world. And I think that's what Peter is getting at here when he speaks of us being a royal priesthood. So he calls us royal priests. We are royal because we serve the eternal king. And we are priests because we are his ambassadors, his emissaries in the world. So we're royal because we serve the King of Kings. Paul expounds on this idea of our priesthood in Romans 12, verse 1, where he appeals to us saying, Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The kingdom we serve is a spiritual kingdom requiring spiritual attributes and spiritual service. What do I mean by that? I mean that our attributes of the kingdom are holiness and righteousness, for that's what best defines the kingdom of God. And I mean that our service is spiritual in that it arises out of worship of God who is spirit. So therefore, we're a royal priesthood whose lives are to be dedicated to the worship and service of God. Now, sometimes I don't feel very priestly, to be honest with you. And very often I don't feel very royal. But just because I don't feel that way doesn't mean that the fact is not true. We're a royal priesthood by virtue of our salvation in Christ. So we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
and we are a holy nation. We are holy because of Christ, Christ's holiness attributed to us. That's true. But here in 1 Peter 2, 9, we're called holy, referring not only to our standing because of Christ, and that's true, but because of a calling to be holy, a holy ethic, a holy behavior, holiness. And this interpretation is in keeping with our priestly representative nature in this verse, that we are here on behalf of another, that we are here to represent another. And he is holy. He has made us holy in Christ, and he expects us to be holy and to behave holy and to act holy and to live in holiness and to walk in holiness. We are a holy nation. Now, Please don't make a political statement out of this. But nations have boundaries and borders. And they're markers that indicate that this is us. And if you go past a certain boundary is the rest of the world. Now, Gail and I have lived in several nations. I lived a long time in Bangladesh. I lived several years in India. I li lived uh, uh, 18 months in Germany and, and a long time in Indonesia. And now I live here in the United States. And each time in each of these countries, there's been a boundary. Where you step across it, and you're no longer in that nation, you're now in another nation. So this summer, I took a group of students from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and we went on a mission trip to Southeast Asia. Now, this was right as, as a lot of COVID regulations were wrapping up. Instead, in fact, everywhere we went, everything was different, you know, and you kind of had just had to play along with the rules, you know, the rules at play, depending on who was in charge. And so we got on a plane in Louisville and we flew to Chicago. Everything was cool so far. And uh, in Chicago, we felt very at home. The, the rules were much like they were in Louisville. So we were comfortable and relaxed and frankly, at that point, maskless. And we were getting ready to get on the plane from uh, Japan Airlines. And uh, I, I gathered my students together and I said, okay, look, this is the way it's going to be. I said, we're, we're going to walk down a gangway in Chicago onto a plane. I said, at the end of that gangway is an airplane. That airplane is from Japan Airlines. I said, when our heads move out of the Chicago ramp and into that long tube from Japan, I said, in a sense, we're entering into the sovereign nation of Japan and all of a sudden, everything's going to be different. You're going to have to play by their rules. Sure enough, oh my goodness, right there at the very, very doorway, it, it, uh, a, a new set of, of, of COVID rules and expectations went up and uh, those masks went on and they were on tight uh, for the entirety of our, gee, 13-hour flight. That's a long time. Uh, you know, and so we, we stepped across that and we were into another world, in, into another nation, if you will. And there's a kind of boundary at play here in 1 Peter 2, 9. Now, it's a line of demarcation marking God's nation and the rest of the world. But the nation in question here is not marked by a geographic boundary it's not a political boundary. It's not an ethnic boundary. It's not a socioeconomic boundary. It's not even a cultural boundary. No. We're a nation marked by holiness. Pure. Set apart for God. 
now. Some of us, I'm not going to point out who, probably because I wouldn't know, but some of us might be thinking, that's okay. I've got this holy and pure thing down pat. It's really no big deal. After all, I don't do any big bad stuff and I'm basically good, right? You don't have to admit if that's in your head right now because it's really a trick question. You see, that represents a misunderstanding and it's a common misunderstanding that sin is just big and bad. Many times when, when we would share the gospel in Indonesia with our Muslim friends and neighbors, this issue was a quite a big sticking point. We would speak of sin and our need to be forgiven of sin to people, and they would often say, well, I'm not a sinner, I don't sin. Now, why would people say such a thing? How would they dare such a, say such a thing? I think that if you were to step out, if we were to step out of this gathering right now and speak to the average bear walking down the street or your neighbor and say, what sin or are you a sinner or do you sin? That most people, most of the time in most situations would say something along the lines of, nah, I'm pretty good. I don't do any really big bad. And you know, they're kind of right. What I mean by this is, they're right in the sense of, yeah, most people don't do big bad. Most people are pretty nice, you know, kind of neighborly and friendly. I, I usually meet friendly people. But here's the problem. The Bible doesn't define sin as big bad, does it? No. The Bible teaches us that sin is when we exert our wants and our will over God's. When we put the delight of our eyes, or let me put it to you this way. When I put the delight of my eyes and I put the delight and the desire of my heart over God's delight and God's desire. You see, that's something I do and maybe, likely, something that you do, something we all do, quite frankly, and we do regularly. Let me make a couple of notes about holiness, namely that we should recognize our passive reality in our holiness and our active responsibility in our holiness because we need to continue to think of it two ways. First of all, our passive reality. We are made holy by Christ and thank God. Remember just a moment ago, I, I reminded us of the more biblical definition of sin that we put the delight of our eyes and the desires of our heart ahead of the delight and the desires of God. And this happens quite often, I said, and I hope you agree, I believe you agree. So you and I sin quite often and are stained by sin, so we're in trouble. But Christ has made us holy. First Peter says that we are the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, that we're sprinkled by the blood of the Lamb. And that because he died in our place, he paid the penalty that was due me, the penalty for my sin, we are made holy. And this is a passive reality. This is a reality. It's true. It's real. It's authentic. And it's a done deal. And you didn't do it. It's a passive reality. Reality. So there is a passive reality to this, that we are made holy, that Christ's holiness is attributed to us. But secondly, we have an active responsibility. We are holy in Christ to be holy for Christ. 
passively, we are made holy in and by Jesus Christ. And actively, we're to be holy for Christ. And as such, our nation is bounded and marked by holiness. His holiness given to be displayed in us. We are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. He has made us to be this chosen race, this royal priesthood, the holy nation, and a people for his own possession. Now the purpose of our making is that we would be his, his possession. In other words, we're not our own, we're owned by another now, the fact that I am owned and I'm not independent runs contrary to our independent, independent spirit, doesn't it? Because you can't tell me what to do. But once again, my feelings don't make it untrue. Uncomfortable, perhaps, but not untrue. If we think for a moment that we as Christians, as Jesus people, as followers of Christ, are our own possessions, independent agents, so to speak, then we're actually wrong and we're completely wrong. You see, he has bought us with a very high price of his own blood. Look at chapter 1, and verses 17 through 19. There it says, and if you address as father, what? Gail and I were talking about this on the drive up. What a thing and what a glorious thing and what a privilege to be addressed, to address God, our Father, as Father, as Abba. I love that word Abba, you know, and the reason I do is because in Bangladesh, remember I was born and raised there, so when I was a little boy and living out in the middle of nowhere, we lived in a town called Finney. And living out there in Finney, Bablu and Monir, <laughs> these two little boys that live right next to us, they're my running buddies, okay? So it's Keith and Wade, so I'm Keith, my Wade's my little brother. Uh, so Keith, Wade, Bablu, and Monir. And uh, the four of us, uh, we wreaked havoc in the rice paddies behind our house. You know, we, you know, I mean, what kid doesn't want to, you know, run through the rice paddies chasing cobras? I mean, that, that's what you do, right? Sure it is. <laughs> or chasing rabbits in a cornfield, I don't know. <laughs> But anyway, Bob, Bob, uh, uh, Monir and Bablu, these two little Bengali boys, our neighbor friends, uh, we, would, we would hear them uh, and we would play with them. We played this uh, game called Crocodile, Crocodile, Kumir, Kumir, where it's kind of like hide and seek. Uh, and we would play that for hours and hours. And then you would hear mom or dad uh, call them from, from uh, across the way. There was just a, a really bunch of brambles, frankly. Uh, between our two houses, you know, making a, a sort of a fence. It was really thick, so we really couldn't see into the yard, but we could hear them quite clearly. And, and Bablu and Monir's dad would call out to them, uh, like, you know, something along the lines of, hey, boys, it's time to come home. It's time for supper. Something along those lines, right? And, and, and Bablu and Monir would, re would respond, yeah, we're coming, Abba. We're coming, Dad. We're coming, we're coming home. You, you know what it's like, you all who have little ones, you dads, when that little one calls you daddy, this kind of melts your heart, doesn't it? And, and by the way, we can't take this too far. My son took it too far one time. So he, he was really excited. I think he was an early teenager. He was really excited about something. He was just fired up. And he came to me, he was talking to me, he said, hey, dude, dude, dude. I was like, no, no, no. I'm not your dude, I'm your dad. <laughs> you can call me daddy. 
And it's familiar. It's intimate. I love to hear you call me that. You know, other people can't call me daddy, right? You can call me daddy. But no, no, I'm not your dude. It's different. So there's an intimacy. There's a closeness, right? And yet there is respect. He, but we get to call him Father. And if we, if you, who address as Abba, as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, therefore conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. It's as if our time here is temporary. It's as if we're on some kind of assignment. It's as if we're foreigners in a foreign land. But anyway, conduct yourselves in fear, verses 17 through 19. During your time of your stay here on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious, the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Redeemed, bought, purchased, not with perishable country, uh, currency, you know, gold and silver and the stuff that we cherish, the shiny things in life, but with the imperishable, precious blood of Christ. Redeemed by Christ unto himself and for himself, we are his treasured possession. I love the way the Spirit guides the writers of the Bible sometimes to waste words. I mean, seriously. The Lord inspired Peter to write down this phrase, his own possession. Well, gee whiz, if we're his possession, we're his own, right? Why do you have to say it twice? You could have just said, we are his own. You could have just said, we're his possession. Why do you have to say it twice? You're his own possession. Well, I don't know about you, but I know about me. And yes, I need to be doubly reminded that I am not my own. I'm his. All these meanings and all these metaphors come together and we depend upon them to work together and to work together in us so that we understand who we are, his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, a people of his own possession. Not so that we can be arrogant, not so that we can be self-satisfied, not to see our great value, not to even envision our divine destiny, but that we would see him worthy. Worthy of our worship. And friends, worthy of our witness. We are thus made so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, he has called us. He has called you And by the way, if he calls, we must respond. Bablu Monir, Esho, Esho. Bablu Monir, come over here. Ya Abba. Yes, Daddy. Yes, Father. So he has called us, and he has called us out of darkness. The Apostle Paul refers to this darkness as the domain of darkness, implying that darkness is under the power of an evil ruler. We're called out of this domain of evil, of darkness, into his marvelous light. 
and were called into his light. Once we were under Satan's rule, but no more. Now we reside as aliens in this world, resident aliens. Resident aliens are a people who, who belong somewhere, but don't live there. Now, Gail and I have a lot of experience in that. And it can be a little bit difficult to explain sometime what it feels like to grow up where you don't really belong. But that's indeed how it was for us. You know, I've told you I was born in Bangladesh, lived there for 18 years of my life. And it was the same for Gail. She was born in Brazil, lived there for 18 years of her life. We loved our countries. We still do. We love our countries. I mean, I'm a Bengali boy and I married my Brazilian bride. And we, we felt like and feel like we belong. I mean, I, I feel Bengali and she feels Brazilian, but my passport says otherwise and so does hers. And then to make things all the more confusing, we moved to Indonesia and lived there for 20 years. And over time, and yes, it took time, but over time, we came to feel more and more like we were Indonesian. We came to feel and to appreciate that country as our place, and we felt like we were more than residents, but we were alien. We carried a passport. We had limited permission to be here and move there in limited ways for limited periods of time. At any point, the government could say to us, all right, enough, enough of you, go back to where you belong. You don't belong here. Well, friends, you are resident aliens. Now, I'm not talking about your passport. I'm not talking about your nation and our nation. I'm not even talking about states and cities. When we're born again by the power of the Spirit through faith in Christ, we're made to be new, a new people and a new country, indeed a new home. So from that moment on, there's, there's often a growing longing in our hearts for home, home with the, with the Lord. Now, you might say, I really don't have that, that sort of growing uh, feeling in my heart right now. Well, the older I get, the more truthful I find that to be. That there is a longing, a desire to be home with the Lord. But we're not there, we're here, you see. We're resident in this kingdom of darkness and we're here as representatives of another kingdom. You see, in a very real sense, we don't quite fit in. We don't quite belong. Now, if we let that feeling overrun our hearts, we'll miss the point. You see, we're resident aliens for a reason and it's a beautiful reason. And this is what Peter is writing to the dispersed church as resident aliens. He said, okay, y'all are not home where you're supposed to be in Jerusalem, where you fit in. Instead, you're, you've been spread out. And you're out there where you don't really belong. And he said, now you could bemoan that fact and, and feel sorry for yourself, etc. He said, but I would remind you, going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I would remind you that this was the foreknowledge, the plan of God, that he is doing this by his spirit, that he's doing it by his spirit, partly for your sanctification and all for his glory. So we too are resident aliens for a reason and a beautiful reason. We are resident aliens to proclaim his excellencies. He has called us out of darkness 
into light so that we may proclaim the excellencies of he who called. If you're a Bible marker, some of you are, some of you aren't. I'm not here to tell you right or wrong. If you are, take out your pen, pencil, or whatever it is you use and circle that. The word that here in our text because the word that points to the reason that we are called, chosen, elect, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession so that we can and should proclaim, announce, tell, witness. <laughs> that's, that's a long way from talking about who I am, you know? I mean, I read those first few metaphors in the beginning of that verse, and I'm like, well, bring it on, you know? Like, Holy nation, royal priesthood, just good stuff, just being, just being heaped on, heaped on. And then it's like, so that I might proclaim his goodness. And what do we proclaim? His excellencies, God's gracious favor to us in Christ, the good news, the gospel. It's no wonder why Peter, guided by the Holy Spirit, put these two things together. Who we are in Christ with what we will do for Christ. That he puts these together. Why? So that we can see our witness, that thing that dad spoke about, our witness is no burden. It's not a task. Indeed, it should come out of the overflow of worship. And, 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 and where does this worship overflow come from? From us just pausing a moment and looking at who he has made us to be. To looking at that glorious reality of who we are in Christ. The original question, how do we understand ourselves and how do we conduct ourselves as aliens in a foreign land? Well, he's told us, hasn't he? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word so glorious, so perfect, so true, and so right. And Father, you gave this word through Peter to your people long, long ago. And you gave this word through Peter to us today. May your word transform us, Father, and renew our minds that we may truly be your people in this world. That indeed, Father, we may be the people who send and go 
to the uttermost parts of the earth with the glorious news of salvation in Christ, that others may be part of this beautiful race, priesthood, nation, and people. To your glory and your honor. Amen.